0: Is Steve Dozer, uh, Community Relations Director with College Community Schools and would like to welcome you to our second podcast uh, titled Prairie Conversations. Uh, the purpose of our podcast is to provide our parents, uh, school community with more insight into our schools, staff, and programs. Uh, we also want to provide our school community with information that is hopefully timely, hopefully helpful, and most of all relevant. Um, today's discussion is kind of a district update and it focuses on the College Community School District. And I'd like to welcome our superintendent of schools today, uh, Dr. Doug Wheeler. Uh, Dr. Wheeler, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Steve. So first of all, let's kind of get going here and just kind of share with our audience uh, your background. Sure. Um, So uh, next year will be my 20th year
1: in education. Uh, Started as a teacher of social studies, psychology, uh, also sponsored student council at Hoover High School in Des Moines. Uh, before moving into administration there, I was principal at Hoover High School for seven years then off to El Community School District in the Des Moines area and Starting my third year here in college community schools as superintendent
0: Great, uh, so let's go ahead and get started a little bit and give our audience some some information a little update on our district So, you know, if you could share with uh, our community what your role is as the district superintendent of schools uh, for college community sure
1: so Um, The way that uh, my role mainly works with the Board of Education Uh, obviously the Board of Education are a group of seven elected people I am their only employee um, And I work for them on behalf of the uh, students and community of college community schools Um, And then uh, my role is really to uh, monitor and oversee all the operations of the district uh, the district systems that are put in place uh, with the targets to improve uh, student achievement um, and family and and student well-being within the district. So, uh, oversee a staff of district office, uh, executive directors and directors, uh, who oversee, uh, a great group of principals that we have in the district who oversee a fantastic staff. And, um, so really my role is to make sure that there's clarity among all of those levels, um, to make sure that uh, we're responsive to the needs, not only of our families and students, but also to our staff, and to sort of uh, work with the board to make sure that their policy role and um, their uh, oversight role, that they're comfortable with the way that the school district is heading um, and making sure that we're achieving our mission and our vision for students and families. Great,
0: thank you so uh this is your third year is that right yes okay third year superintendent boy time has gone by quick right yeah (laughs) uh you know since being hired dr wheeler what uh, you know uh, what have been your priorities i mean not counting where we are with COVID and everything else but uh, you know when you got here saying what what are your what have been your priorities since being
1: hired sure so i always like to say that uh, between uh, the covid uh, 19 emergency and the winter that i had the first year here um, yeah, it does seem like a lot more than, than just, just over two years that I've been here, but it's been great. Um, you know, the, My priority really um, is you know, we're a growing district and um, we have been in a process where uh, we've been catching up on the spaces that we have for students to learn as we continue to grow and add families and students to our district. Um, obviously with growth comes challenges. Um, we're a, a super high quality district with a great reputation as we continue to grow. Uh, we need to identify systems and structures to make sure that that continues. Uh, not only that a reputation continues, but the actual quality of delivery uh, continues and how we serve our students and our families. Uh, that's been, you know, obviously a struggle with, uh, you know, sort of a polarizing topic such as COVID-19. But I feel like we've had a lot of success in uh, bringing some systemness um, uh, to our to our district the last couple of years. So, uh, for example, uh, working across our our system to identify. Um, where we are in different initiatives. Uh, we have such a fantastic staff and a great uh, hardworking staff, not only teachers, but all of our support staff and our bus drivers and our paras. And one of the things is I came in, um, tried to have conversations with people. We've, we've launched a, a staff engagement survey. And, and one of the things that you know, I found is people are very happy to work here. Um, they're very happy to work with our families. They're, they're appreciative of the support that, that our families give us. And one thing that they um, you know, continue to want is more clarity around where we're heading as a district. Obviously, all of us want to know, you know have some measure of control over our lives and our, our work is a big part of our life, right? So one of my big goals was just to create clarity throughout the system. Um, we've uh, uh, implemented a change management system. So as we, as we look at current initiatives we have going on, whether it's personalized learning, whether it's one-to-one computing, um, we look at and try to label where should we be at in that process. And I think that that uh, hopefully relieves a little stress on the part of our staff who, um, they're so awesome that they want to learn about it at 8 o'clock in the morning and be doing it at full capacity at 8 by 8.30, you know? And that's just not, that, that's not realistic, you know? So uh, trying to make sure we're really clear on exactly what work we need to be doing at what time. Um, and then we've also implemented that with, uh, you know, in, in some of the listening sessions and also some of the feedback from the community. Uh, we've done a lot of work around social-emotional behavior, um, and uh, we're onboarding this year a new behavior matrix that I think will increase some equity. Um, we'll also create a common language across our district um, in terms of, you know, from, from building to building about what behavior is, what behavior isn't, how we respond consistently to behavior, and making sure that, uh, you know, the outcome of, of our behavior efforts is to change the behavior, right? So, um, and, and we applied that change management process to that. So, you know, really what we've been trying to do is add some three-year planning processes when we do new things, and then identify those things that we're already doing, big system initiatives, where we are in that process, so we can be really clear with staff about, you know, this is, this is where we are, and, 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 um, and this is where we need you in this process at this moment. So, I mean, there, there's been so many priorities, but really for me, it is, you know, as we continue to grow, it's not only that we need space for our students in terms of buildings and, and, and facilities, but we also need to operate as a system the size we are so that, so that we can maintain that small feeling. You know, I think that sometimes as districts explode in growth and... And, and uh, may not look at those system aspects, people feel like they're in a larger place than they are. And one of the things people love about college community, one of the things that attracted me here in the first place, was that sense of community. That, you know, we really are, we have all those big city, big school opportunities, but we still feel small and we still have those, those, uh, those opportunities to be a community.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's what makes our community feel special, that even though we continue to grow it still feels like a small community and that's always been a goal, it seems like, uh, here. So, well, you know, we we got to touch a little bit of it. Obviously, you know, uh, COVID-19 has created enormous uh, challenges for our Mm -hmm. students, staff, families, Mm -hmm. uh, community, you know, and um, since last March, uh, when our schools shut down due to the pandemic and where we are today, Dr. Wheeler with Return to Learn. I guess share with us you know, uh, kind of uh, what it's been like as a district leader, as the leader of our district for our students and staff and families uh, through this. If you can kind of describe and share with us what it's been like for you as the district leader. Sure, so one of the things that's been
1: super valuable to me and that I've really appreciated about being in this area um, coming from the Des Moines metro area is just the cooperation that all of the districts have in this area. Um, of course, we've got those kind of rival sort of things, but you know, I, I've really appreciated the other superintendents in other districts uh, Cedar Rapids, Linmar, Marion, it just as that sounding board. Um, and I, I think that my experience is probably, while all of our experiences are, are, are a little different, I think collectively we're having some of the same challenges, um, you know, in approaching this as a district leader. You know, you want to make decisions. Uh, I've always said that there's two things that you don't mess with people's kids and people's money Um, and uh, you know this this um, crisis has You know, it's been highly emotional for people. It's it's created a lot of anxiety for people and um, You know balancing all of the different stakeholders whether you're talking about teachers who have very legitimate concerns about their their own safety in the classroom or balancing um, the needs of families who have the means to be able to have their children at home and, and be taught online during this, this crisis, balancing the needs of those families that um, if, if they can't provide childcare, they have to choose between having a job or, or having children. Um, th- those people that have missed paychecks in the last couple of, of months, um, you know, just that that sort of cloud of, of stress, of real Real stress you know that that is is legitimate and and deserved and and managing all that together into the best decision not only for our our district as a whole but also for children's long term health and well being right so um you know we did our surveys over the summer uh at the time we're recording this we're we're looking at some other surveys to launch to see where people are with this process um, you know it, it's it's been the most you know, divisive um, you know, leadership challenge that I've ever had. And, and I, I think probably uh, my fellow superintendents would also say that. Um, I think our principals would say that. You know, um, it's not the leadership we signed up for, um, but um, you know, my, my job is to be the, the leader that the district needs, um, not to be the leader necessarily that I want to be. And, and I feel that that's been my approach since I became a superintendent or since I became a principal. Is that you know? A lot of times, I need to shelve things that I want to do for things that my community needs to do. Um, I'm big on service, um, you know. Background, starting in as a, as a leader in, in Boy Scouts, is a you know is a young person, and you know I, I really feel like you know serving the community is what we need to do. The challenge through this has been that in, in serving. People because of the, the polarized nature of people's opinions on this, you know, it, it's a uh, it, it, to see my inbox would be interesting, <laughs> right, Steve? So, and big. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and big, you know, is to see, you know, an email of we need all students back on site as soon as possible, um, followed by we need students back on site as soon as possible, but I don't want uh, students to wear masks, followed by we need to be all online, followed by we need to stay in hybrid, followed by. You know um, a host of other you know it's just really the challenge has been um, you know while we've made good decisions based on the data we have based on data and guidance that we've had um, you know probably more people are upset than normally would be upset at this time and and so you know one of the things i also think about is for the future relationship our district has with our parents, right, and our community. You know, we, we have an immense amount of trust, and and just the, the things that keep me up at night are the decisions that we make and have to make that, you know, are in some cases, you know, because of one stakeholder group or another stakeholder group as we continue to manage through this, all the while kind of watching those metrics and those data and the CDC guidance is just, I, I I'm... You know, it keeps me up at night making sure that, you know, our our families and communities still trust that, you know, we're doing everything that we that within our power to make the right decision. We are taking everyone's input, which is so different depending on where you are um, in the community and even what age students you have in your community. Our next set of surveys is really going to focus on that. You know, how is your elementary versus your secondary um, student doing. In our surveys this summer, we found the, through the comments that you know some parents were saying, my, my secondary kid did well in online, my elementary kid, I just can't have them in online. So um, I don't know, I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, I think really it's, it's maintaining trust in such a stressful, uncertain time, um, in a time where we're flooded with information and, and we can readily find information that fits our perspective or our viewpoint. Uh, what we try to do as a, as a district team um, and as a board superintendent team um, is we try to look at what are the official sources um, and look at all of that stuff, right? Um, you know, I'll give you an example. So. Um, early on, uh, our face covering requirement was either or. It was either face shield or mask. So then the CDC um, you know came out with some more clarity that face shields weren't as effective. So we pivoted on that. We said cloth face mask is, is our way to go. Um, we did contact tracing, uh, you know where people within six feet for 15 minutes, uh, we sent students into quarantine. We've been uh, relatively low in that number of quarantine uh, it went obviously went up the first couple of weeks and has gone down since that time um, our students and families are doing a great job supporting those mitigation strategies and the mask wearing um, but you know and then yesterday um, you know, new guidance from the Iowa Department of Public Health saying that if you have a mask on if both people have a mask on you don't need to quarantine um, for that contact and still you know doing that contact tracing so it, it really is, there's just ebbs and flows, you know, to this work. Um, I will say outside of COVID that I've still been able to in the last month since school started and since since kids came back, which is kind of what sustains us as educators, you know, um, is, is seeing kids in, in classrooms and seeing teachers and kids interact and have those positive relationships and all the, you know, the thousands of wins, you know, that we've had since that, that I have been able to remain focused on those long-term things you know i i I am thinking you know while my primary focus right now is on responding to covid i'm still thinking about what's happening in three years for college community schools you know we're still meeting to design a fifth sixth grade building we're still uh, looking at those change management processes we're still you know having school improvement advisory committee meetings we're still meeting with our administrators about about equity and increasing equity of access uh, throughout our system so you know it's a balance, but it, it, uh, you know, it, it kind of goes by the day, and, and you know, we don't get any real pre-warning of what you know, proclamations are going to be out there, so um, sometimes you feel a little bit like a boxer, kind of ducking and weaving a little bit, <laughs> trying to, to keep ahead of things, and, and um, just the amount of, of guidance and paper that we've produced in the last several months I mean, it, it is equivalent to if we started a school from scratch. Um, so I'm really proud of the work we've done. Um, really proud that we've still been able to be focused on beyond COVID, uh, but still be hyper aware and hyper focused on COVID-19.
0: Yeah, it's, and it, you know, like we've all learned, it's uh, it can change by the minute. And then we have to, like you said, uh, Dr. Wheeler, you have to pivot and you got to uh, be prepared to pivot. You just don't know when we have to pivot and mm-hmm. it's it's uh, been crazy. So. Um, well, let's talk about, uh, like you alluded to, now you're kind of saying the three years and what, are, you know, what for the college community. So let's kind of talk about our students a little bit in, in post-graduation. So what steps have you taken uh, to position college community as a uh, future-ready uh, district and prepare our students for life after uh, Prairie High School?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, as I mentioned through the COVID nineteen crisis, we've been able to stay focused on a few things. Uh, you know, one thing that we had hoped to launch a little bit earlier, but we've kind of backed up a little bit. Uh, you know, to the spring um, is an initiative that that I'm involved with uh, with uh, the National Superintendent's Association. It's called Redefining Ready, and really, what it's about is it's about you know the narrative that people have about schools and public schools is often related to metrics. You know, so. Uh, that's a good school because 80% of their of their students scored high in math, or that's a good school because you know 90% of their students scored well in reading, and those are important indicators. You know, and we continue to track those indicators. But what Redefining Ready is about is about looking at other things that our students and our and our staff do, and our staff and schools do for students to get a, a bigger picture of student development. So. You know, for example, um, you know, research is very clear on if students volunteer, you know, what that does in terms of of their direction. Um, You know, research is very clear on a lot of students exit high schools without knowing what they're going to do in college, and that's okay. So it's shifting that conversation from, um, you know, uh, the success of high school is judged on whether a kid that's 18 years old knows exactly what they want to do uh, starting at 22 and ending at 55 mm-hmm. <laughs> to, you know, yeah, I think that, that that's a goal but also the goal of exposing them to things so if they know what they don't want to do, you know, the the, the cost of, of an extra semester of college is is estimated to be around $20,000, you know, so so, you know, kind of narrowing down on those other indicators of things such as you know the value of people having jobs outside of of the school and balancing their school life. The value of being involved in activities, you know, either fine arts or or athletic activities. Really measuring those things and putting those alongside are already pr- you know pretty impressive, um, uh, you know, academic achievement pieces. And then also layering in this this chance to explore in high school, right? So. Um we've had a great partnership with Kirkwood Community College for a number of years, and you know, um, usually on average the last five years, our seniors have experienced and our families have experienced a value of over three hundred thousand dollars a year worth of college credit and I mean that's an awesome opportunity. Um, I feel we could do more you know I feel that that that, that number could grow and that access could grow um, but you know, putting in place structures, you know, academy types of structures, focus structures where students are looking at sort of a progression in their learning. So, you know, maybe they're interested in, in, a, in a career in business. So here's a very purposeful pathway for them to go through. We've got some of that in business. Uh, in, in the trades, we've got that. Um, you know, formalizing those structures and also making them important, making, making kids that are, you know, as a high school principal, I always asked myself, you know, what's in it for the sophomores and the juniors? You know, we, we put a lot of emphasis on ninth graders, and then we kind of like sophomores and juniors, you know, we put emphasis on them, but, you know, what's special about those two years for them? And, and then seniors, of course, you know, what's special about that? You know, providing a pathway so our students can participate in internships, that our students can participate in job shadowing, and we measure that, and we explain that to the community, I think is, is a different narrative. Um, for us. So we've been working on structures to do that. Um, You know, one great example of that is our agriculture program. So we just onboarded an agriculture program, um, thankfully, before the pandemic hit, um, you know, and and we've got thoughts on, you know, right now we're looking at, can we have a nursing program? Can we have a, a teacher prep program, you know, within our schools? I'm a true believer that the comprehensive school setting, whether it's high school or elementary, can be what every student needs it to be without always having to say okay we're gonna we're going to create other schools outside of it to do that purpose um, and, and so you know th- that's exciting to me so just really looking at our, our programming and exposing students uh, you know we have a lot of students that already do internships for example so hundred and, and I think it was 160 or something over the last couple of years that did internships and we had a uh, students come to the board meeting. We started a, a process of celebrating people at board meetings, which <laughs> w- was great for the six months before COVID. Right. And yeah. I look forward to getting back to that. Um, but one of those students said, I really wanted to be an engineer. And then I went and did this internship with an engineer. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. Then he went and did an internship in the medical field and says, well, I want to be an RN. You know, That's a success to me. You know, Providing that student the opportunity to say, hey, I don't really like that. I, I kind of like this, I mean, that's a success. Um, and that's a success we need to tell and we need to structure our schools to create. Um, and so like agriculture is an example of that. You know, we, you know, a lot of our economy here in Cedar Rapids is based around agriculture. We're the number one grain producing, um, you know, city in the world, you know, in, in terms of grain production. Um, we've never had an ag program at a college community, a, a school that was started as a collection of agricultural <laughs> communities. Um, and, and our students are taken to it. You know, we, we have um, more enrollment in that program. We're looking at you know, our, the land we purchased across the street last year, um, you know that, that farm, uh, and putting a classroom and greenhouse on that site for the ag program, uh, which also goes into STEM and science and, and engages kids in something in higher levels of learning. And honestly, you know, even, you know, I think some people have the misnomer that if you create a trades academy, that means that they're not going to get college credit. No, the idea is to get them more access to those, those credential things, those certifications that students can walk away with. You know, imagine uh, the person that's interested in being a doctor, and we have a, a program where they can get their first level of nursing, and while they're in college, they can work for $17 an hour rather than $12 an hour. And what that does to their economic security in the future so those are the exciting things you know that that are on on you know that are on the the menu here in the planning uh stage and and while covid deterred it a little bit it didn't deter our determination to get there
0: well and i think you know what you said too is it's more important what kids don't want to do Mm -hmm. and you you said that and and i i think too when people have credits that say from kirkwood yes it saves them money but it also buys them flexibility in college they may mm-hmm. change their major change their interest where they're not tied to like you said another year of twenty thousand by having those credits they'll find out more of what they want to do or don't want to do so mm-hmm. well great so uh you know we talk about uh growth and challenges and things like that and you mentioned the ag program that also comes with growth in in opportunities but you know uh college community has seen 33 percent growth in the last 10 years and and uh, with growth, obviously comes uh, a lot of excitement and opportunities here, and and a couple things, just if you can provide just kind of, uh, provide our listeners a little bit, just an update on where we're at. So in in February 2000, or February 2nd, 2016, our voters approved uh, the $49.5 million bond issue for improvements at the high school additions, uh, and then also includes renovations at our three oldest elementaries, View Heights and Crest. So can you kind of give an update of where we're at with that project? Sure. I think the first thing I'd like to mention is
1: you know, my philosophy on what buildings do has changed greatly since I started as, as a teacher, uh, you know, in, in 2001. Um, a, a, an environment that a student is in can either enhance or inhibit what they're doing in the classroom. So, you know, you can have great teachers and uh, great content delivery and great relationships. And that building can either enhance that or detract from that. And I think I'm really proud of where we're going as a district in terms of making sure that our learning environments enhance that already quality relationship that is there and quality learning environment. So um, we, are, uh, we just finished up the high school. Um, it'd be great once we're through all of the gatherings and, and those types of restrictions to do a full open house there. Looks like a different building, um, you know. A lot of common spaces, a lot of collaborative spaces. Uh, classrooms have a consistent, you know, from classroom to classroom, uh, materials and and things that the teachers can use. Um, and, and so, and, and I think students have reacted really well to it. That commons area concept, right? So, essentially, we built a we built a school setting that is great beyond the pandemic. You know, where with interaction and and kids you know having those collaborative conversations and those types of things so really excited about that part of that initial bond that you mentioned in uh, 2016 steve was the renovation of our four our three oldest elementaries and uh, people see around campus view uh, was an open-air uh, classroom concept um, that now has walls uh, full fit and finish upgrades that was kind of the special thing that view got uh, right now you were at heights um, kind of the special focus there is controlled entry into our schools We're always looking at how do we control entry into our schools to keep it as safe as possible uh, New front entrance new facade on the front, but then also fit and finish upgrades throughout making, you know Making sure it's got the right electrical mechanical systems. that Those are upgraded again student comfort, right? It's you have a great relationship with a teacher and a student and if they're sweating bullets, you know <laughs> or, or freezing in the winter, you know, that's not going to be that's not be good for them um, and then we're on. We're already in the planning processes and really close to um, taking the board plans for Crest. There's some significant renovations to Crest in the way um, students enter the building, and then of course on top of that, finish upgrades, ability to have access to a, a project room for gathering, and and some things like that that we're really um, excited about. Um, probably and, and the ECC of course is finished. That that really took a load off of our elementary school uh, buildings. You know we're really. And, and I think that the work we've done in elementary has really helped us in the COVID crisis. Because right now we're looking at, at classrooms. We we have had to collapse some sections due to online needs of teachers for online that you know are in the 21, 22 range. But a lot of our class sizes right now are in that fourteen to, to eighteen range, you know. And so that that spreading those students throughout in those other buildings and building Hill five years ago and those types of things. I mean, I think the district prior to me being here. Is always thought about you know the next step and and the next step for us is that fifth sixth grade building and then moving the ninth graders out of point and up here to the current creek building
0: well and let's talk about that march 3rd uh 2020 the voters approved a 54 million dollar bond referendum uh to build a new five six uh building and then also significant renovations at our current five six building creek do you want to kind of talk about where we're at with that and kind of how Creek is getting renovated for ninth graders and just kind of touched a little bit on, on that and where we are today with that. Sure. So first of all, I was really proud of, you know, Steve, you
1: helped with this. Um, our new CFO, Angie Morrison, helped with this. Our board helped with this. You know, we did 30 plus private presentations about this bond. Um, throughout February. Like, you know, every night was booked, right? <laughs> and then yeah. we did some. And then so, uh, Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and was really proud that, you know, we really communicated, you know, that it doesn't have a, a overall tax rate impact, you know, because of our growth, because of our financial stability, the opportunity to explain to our families how school finance works I mean, and having the highest rate of approval for a bond referendum that we've had in the history of the school district. So eighty-four
0: percent. Yeah, right?
1: super. So. Just like overwhelmed. I feel like the the work paid off. And then, as you know, Steve, the following week we were talking about COVID nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it, it's been a there was a short lived you know celebration before we kind of moved on to the next challenge, right? I talked about that before. You you're the leader that the district needs. You know, um, and so. Uh, but however, starting with that, we've been in the design process now um, since you know really really heavy into that design process since about April, and uh, you know at the next board meeting in October, doing a full overview of what this new five six building is going to look like, and you know we have the ability for you know thirteen hundred or twelve hundred students to be in that building but make it feel small. you know. It's in that kind of neighborhood concept, um, whereas now you're gonna have fifth and sixth graders in a building that was built for their age group versus fifth and sixth graders in a building that was built for 14, 15 year olds, right? 13, 14, 15 year olds. So that's really exciting um, you know, just in, in terms of their development. I think that it's a real benefit to our district to have our sixth graders still in more of an elementary intermediate approach um, rather than going right on to, to middle school, right? Um, and so um, that's exciting for our staff, for our students, having a, a new building, new learning spaces, those collaborative spaces like we've built in the high school, like we're building into our elementaries as we update them. Um, but then also the ninth graders coming up here and being in proximity to the high school, um, also having our Prairie Delta program, which is currently off-site, just the ability to, for ninth graders now to access some different class opportunities and course opportunities, and, and vice versa. You know, Obviously, you know, that staffing... You know, we can, we can do some creative things and sharing of that staffing to make sure that not only our ninth graders get a better experience because they're in proximity to the high school, but our high school you know, students can get some, some of those benefits because when we split into those two directions, you know, that staff was split, you know? And so, um, you know, it's really exciting to, to have the ninth graders up there, have their own space. You know, we are fully renovating that space, uh, you know, a new music area, um, you know, fit and finish upgrades throughout those classrooms over there at Creek. Very good bones, uh, very, you know, like, but, but needs some upgrade. You know, we're a little tired, um, as are the hallways. Um, really excited about that. And, and what that does for our district is it allows us to have up to 600 students in a class. So that, that gives us growth uh, from what we're estimating to the next 10 to 15 years before we have to, again, I know our community probably feels like we're going back to them every five years asking for a building, right? <laughs> And, and we've done a good job in terms of, these are students that are living in our district. We have, we have we're have we not taking in a bunch of open enrollment. Um, you know, we're, we're following what, what the laws are in terms of open enrollment where, you know, with, with continuation. Uh, but these are students, I mean, our community is growing. And I anticipate that to continue. We did a demographic study. There's at least two very large developments that are that are planned. You know, one in Ely and one in proximity across from <laughs> uh, across from Wright Brothers up here. Yeah, in uh, Fairfax. Uh, fair yeah, yeah. So I mean, the growth is not going to stop, and and I don't think necessarily the growth is even going to stop, even with the economic slowdown that could come from this virus. Uh, I mean, I think that we're uh, um, you know we're planning for the future. Um, and then we just purchased 155 acres across the street. And so we have that, um, the responsible thing to do with that is we did plat it out. What would it look like with some elementaries and high school on it at some point? Um, you know, I, I don't see a second high school in my lifetime or service to the district, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm kind of hoping that I can be here till I retire. That's, you know, another 10, 15 years here, but, um, you know, I, I see the settings up really well for the future. And, And then the next step, of managing growth as I've talked about before is programming so agriculture adding a program like agriculture uh, looking at um, you know do we need our own swimming program um, looking at, at orchestra we don't currently offer orchestra so maximizing those other student opportunities that keep kids engaged in school so that that second high school is not needed you know so that we can maintain
0: that community that when our, are, when are, uh, go back kind to of the five, six, when, when should parents start to see dirt moving? Mm. <laughs> they always want to know when dirt's yeah, going to start moving. Yeah,
1: Well, the big challenge, first of all, the city of Cedar Rapids has been fantastic to work with. Um, in terms of, our big barrier is making sure that before we start pushing dirt to build a building, that we've addressed the, the traffic flow in that area. Um, you know, Cedar Rapids has been very good in the, in the process, that neighborhood that's across the street you know had some concerns in terms of how to get in and out you know there will be a roundabout that'll get those uh, folks in and out of their neighborhood and then also into uh, our school. I know roundabouts are um you know <laughs> everyone has an opinion on a roundabout um you know but I you know in terms of a traffic and then and then turn lanes and those types of things so that will start this spring and um so we'll start to see that happen this spring in the summer and then at and then you'll start to see. Uh, dirt start to be moved in the fall to winter to in terms of getting things set you know for then the concrete stuff to start next or the foundations Um, so then that'll be that following spring when you'll start to see like things rise out of the ground or (laughs) is and you know and that really is is related to um, you know making sure that 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 traffic flow and stuff we do our responsibility with the city and they've been great with working on us on that and you know we're able to do some things there to speed up that process there and, and, I mean I've, I've been really happy with uh, with the city um, and what they've done for us on that
0: good well you know is there uh, you know in it is there one particular innovation or uh, achievement uh, that you are especially proud of in your time at college community so far who um, there's actually a lot um, If you could hang your hat on one or two, is there a couple that stood out that you're going, you know, this is, after knowing the district, this is what we needed, Mm -hmm. or this is what we've done, or this is where we're going? I think,
1: you know, having that that change management process and bringing that to the table, even though it's not fully realized where where we, I think, need it to be, is a huge accomplishment. We've made some decisions in the last couple years not to do something based on that, and I think that's powerful, right? I mean, I think... As an organization, you know, we, we always want to do what's best, but sometimes we need to say, we need to weed the garden a little bit and and, and get some focus on some things, you know? Um, and so I think that that the change management process is something that I'm proud of and I think teachers will start to hear more about. And I know that it breathed this collective sigh of relief when we applied that language to our personalized learning um, work. Um, and so that would be one thing. The bond approval and the construction that we that we've done, and creating that sort of long term vision is another thing um, that I think is is really uh, important. Um, and then, you know. I'm never going to be as visible in buildings or in the community as I want to be. But I feel like I've, I've done a pretty good job of, of being visible in, in, in the community. And, well, you and even like, rode a school
0: bus a few times yeah, with some of kids. Yeah, a couple times. Kids. Yeah, I need to do
1: that. and I, The transportation That's... department keeps saying I need to get that license, but I'm afraid that, um, you know, that'll turn my 12-hour days into 16-hour days. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Getting up at 5 and, and driving the bus. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I've really tried to understand the different levels within the district. And I mean, we, we still have great relationships, I believe, with our association, our teacher association, our groups that, that um, our Teamster groups that um, support our uh, a lot of our hourly folks. Um, that's been a, that's been good. So I, I think kind of, you know, the relationships I've been able to build, even though that's always a work in process, in progress, um, the bond, uh, getting that passed, you know, and that, that's a communication piece, especially. Um, and then also just, you know, the processes we go through to make decisions and thinking differently about that um, are, are three things I think that have, have been successes so far. And if, if I were to say what I hope are successes in the next two years would be, you know, robust conversations around equity, um, that work with the career academy process that I talked about earlier, um, and then, you know, getting that fifth and sixth grade building out of the ground. Yeah,
0: right, <laughs> right. Well, oh, great. Well, um, Kind of wrap it up here with a couple more questions quick, is is um, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a similar career to yours? I think, um,
1: wow, just always learn and, and find, find someone to mentor you. Um, focus not only on the things that the others do around you. You know, when you're working for people, there are there are people that you will look to and say, I want to do that. That, that, that's the leader I want to be. That's the person I want to be. Um, that, that's, that's, I can see myself doing those things. And then, and then also learn a lot about like what, what not to do, what doesn't work for you. Like when you're a teacher in a large system, like, so I was a teacher in a very large system in Des Moines public schools. It taught me a lot about like, at that level again that clarity that i that is a big goal of mine is clarity from all levels of the organization um you know what what are barriers to that clarity you know um so you know make, making sure that you know you're you're thinking about successes that you see you're thinking about failures that you see and that you have and and, and you're growing from those um and then just know i mean it takes it takes time it, it just it is this is a 24-7 job, you know, um, and, and even when I'm not here, my mind is here. Um, so people just, they need to get into this, any administrative position, especially the superintendency, with the understanding that it, it is about the people you serve. Um, and I, I guess that would be my biggest piece of advice. And, and if, you're un, if you're unwilling to, to um, shelve the the focus on being right and shifting that to doing the right thing <laughs> uh then then this is not the job <laughs> this is not the job for you um you know and and do i do i have days where i get frustrated and um with myself and uh yes of course um but but again i think that would be the biggest advice is you know it, it is a lot of work it's very rewarding to see system impact and and i see that every time i go into classrooms and and that that's that's really the reward.
0: Well, last question I'd like to ask everybody is, you know, who has been the most influential person in your life? And then who, on the other side, who has been the most influ- influential person in your career? Oh, okay. Um, ugh, I'm gonna take a, I'm, I'm going
1: to violate the, the rules here and choose two people on the influential in my life. Um, probably the very pr- first person that was most influential uh, in my life, my mom and dad, um, and, um, they really always believed in me when I even didn't believe in myself. I was not that strong of a, a student in school, um, you know, in, 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 my primary and secondary schooling. Um, and, uh, but they always believed in me. They were always there. They were there at the events, um, you know, uh, to give that advice. I, I, you know, I, um, my dad worked for one company for an entire, for his entire career, uh, I saw him go through stressful things, and you know, um, in, in him leading other people, so it taught me a lot about that um, as well. Um, and uh, so that my my folks would be probably the first, and the second would definitely be my wife Lisa. Um, she's just uh, you know, there's the you know, some people have hobbies, and, and they call themselves you know uh, widows to that hobby, <laughs> you know, whether it's like you know a golf or you know the the wood shop or you know wherever you know, uh, fishing, hunting, you know, whatever that is. And um, the amount of, of sacrifice that, that it's taken uh, from her and, and just her support of me, unwavering support of me, has been super influential to my life um, and, and my ability to do what I do right now. I, I wouldn't be where I am at the age I am without her support. So I'm going to, I'm sorry, I mentioned three people there, but I, I, can't, I can't choose one over the other. What well, um, about your career? Yeah. Who's been most
0: influential in your career?
1: In my career, would probably be my um, one of my former principals, and then she was my boss when I was a principal in Des Moines, uh, Connie Cook. Um, she just, gosh, tenaciously driven by what's right and <laughs> you know, in ser- in serving others. I-, I just think that that was a great um, a great mentor for me to have. Um, you know just very student focused willing to have those hard conversations willing to support other people but then also knowledgeable about when people needed help and support
0: great well i appreciate your time i know uh i know your schedule i know what it looks like and i know what's going on but uh you know i appreciate it we're uh pretty excited about our podcast and hoping to provide you know like we said earlier our community with some timely information and, and to give an update has been great. So, appreciate your time, Dr. Wheeler. Uh, coming up, we're actually gonna interview a student. We got a student, get a student perspective a little bit, and, and kind of talk about other uh, things going on in our district and in departments, so our, our audience gets to know and learn to kind of all the inner workings of uh, a school district. So, again, on, on, on behalf of our podcast and myself, I wanna thank you for coming in and sharing some time with us. Thank you, thanks for making it to the end. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.